Hello, I'm Chris Neeland, host of a new podcast, Cult Brand Secrets, brought to you by The Gathering and Evergreen Podcasts. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit and a masterclass for brand and business leaders looking to reap the benefits of cult-like adoration. Each year, The Gathering brings together disruptors from around the globe to learn from and to celebrate the leaders behind iconic brands like Marvel, Skittles, Beats by Dre, Yeti, and the Dallas Cowboys. For the first time ever, this podcast will give you access to some of the exclusive business leader learnings from the gathering's past events. You know, you don't become the king of beers without first being a masterful marketer. Kyle Norrington is one of those. He's currently the chief commercial officer at Anheuser-Busch. He was formerly the president of Labatt Breweries of Canada, which makes and distributes Budweiser along with a host of other beers. And he was also previously the VP of Global Brands for Budweiser, Corona, and Stella Artois. Needless to say, this guy knows a thing or two about the beer business, and he's an all-around really good guy. To be honest with you, I almost deselected Kyle's presentation from this gathering podcast because Kyle shares several videos in his talk that are really best seen and not heard. But I decided to include his speech in the season three because the advice that Kyle gives is just so dang good. He only spoke for about 20 minutes, but his wisdom is potent and his examples are so, so inspiring. He's going to be providing brand leaders with solid counsel about how to dream big and to do hard things in order to make a meaningful difference. While very few companies have the resources that Budweiser has today, the principles that they have used have remained relevant for 150 years in their organization, back when they were much smaller and not the king of beers that we know and love. It's how they have pivoted from being popular to being meaningful that is truly the gold here. And if any of our listeners are dealing with a global brand or are hoping to grow their company by tapping into pop culture and becoming really culturally significant, then perhaps there is no better example on the planet than what Budweiser has done. Really, only Coca-Cola comes to mind as a brand that could even rival Budweiser in terms of what they've achieved. So just sit back, relax, but be prepared to take lots of notes about how you too can foster a community and create irrational love for your products and for your brand. Here's Kyle. I'm Kyle Norrington. I'm the president of Labatt Breweries of Canada and a super fan of Budweiser, the king of beers. I've been working for this great brand basically my entire career, from selling it in downtown Toronto to being the global vice president to the president here now in Canada, where you know Budweiser reigns as the number one beer in the country. But before we talk about the king, let me uh, spend a few minutes just introducing myself. Like most people in Canada, my story begins as a hockey-crazed kid growing up in what we call center ice or Winnipeg, Manitoba. People say 
you know, get into a business that you're passionate about and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's really my story. So my mom was a bookkeeper and eventually became a, uh, a successful business person leading a business with my stepfather. And this guy here is my dad. Uh, he's no longer with us today, unfortunately. He was a massive influence on me as a person and especially in my career. He was an accountant. That's not the influence part. But he was uh, really uh, a salesperson. Uh, he eventually became an entrepreneur. He had some great businesses, some horrible ones from computers to carpet. Uh, but what he really loved was people. He loved to watch people. We used to, uh, you know, whether we were at an airport, a restaurant, a coffee shop, we used to play this game. You know, we would watch people and try and figure out what was going on in their life, you know, listening, watching, putting yourselves in their shoes. You know, that was key to sort of understanding what made them tick. And, and that kind of stuck with me throughout my entire life, understanding people, what motivates them emotionally, functionally. And that's really the key to nudging them in a particular direction. I guess that's what, you know, created my love of selling. I eventually studied marketing and I went to UBC. And while everyone was, you know, tripping each other over each other after they graduated for the next big job at P&G or Unilever, I said, screw that, I'm going to Europe. And I remember being there in the south of France. I met up with my brother at the time. And after, you know, a couple of bottles of really cheap French wine, we had our first big marketing idea. We sat on that horrible rocky beach and we looked up and pictured above us, high, the Pepsi star. You know, screw out of home. We were talking about out of the atmosphere advertising. Now, the Pepsi star never happened. But at some point in that trip in Europe, I solidified my love of big ideas and marketing. So then I landed in Toronto and I opened up, uh, some of you will call one of these things, the yellow pages. And I started looking for companies uh, that I knew I could get passionate about with great brands. And companies that had you know, the ambition, the money to do big things. I eventually landed my first job at a university, cruising around in this out of the blue van as a beer salesman for Labatt Breweries of Canada. Uh, literally putting up posters in bars, but listening, learning, and selling an amazing portfolio of brands. But no brand caught my attention more than this one. We were pushing a lot of brands, but this one, Budweiser, had something different. It had pull. And back then, I didn't really know why. So enough about me. Let's talk about the king. Bud's story is definitely a hell of a lot more interesting than mine. It started with Adolphus Busch immigrating to America from Germany to brew a better beer with his partner, Ebert Anheuser. They had a thirst to do something big. And in 1876, almost 150 years ago, they did just that. Today... Budweiser is the most valuable beer brand on the planet. Served in over 80 countries around the world. Such a powerful brand that it even birthed the second most powerful brand in the world, of course, Bud Light. Now, it sounds crazy, but for almost 150 years, as I said, Bud is brewed the exact same way. And trust me, it is damn difficult. I want to read something verbatim that's on our packaging uh, for most of our existence. This is the world-famous Budweiser beer. We know of no other brand produced by any other brewer which costs so much to brew and age. 
Our exclusive Beechwood aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and a drinkability you'll find in no other beer at any price. And that's not bullshit. Bud is aged longer than other beers. It's not something we just say in our packaging. It's what we do day in and day out. And trust me, there are probably way more efficient ways for us to do this. But our generations of brewmasters believe that aging Bud longer than other beers over these tasteless pieces of beechwood really is what creates that smoothness that you just don't find in any other beer. There's lots of great ingredients in Bud, but in my opinion, time is really the game changer. Time smooths things out, whether it's cheese, scotch, or in our case, of course, beer. Another interesting thing about Bud is that we keep pushing ourselves to make it even better, even more consistent. Once a month, all of our breweries around the world send a few of their best brews, best bottles to room 220 in St. Louis. That's a global tasting room. A trained panel of experts sit down, they taste and score each bottle of beer that comes from China to Brazil to Canada. And there's an annual competition to see who consistently makes the best bud in the world. It's called the Bud Cup. I was so fascinated by this pursuit of perfection that we made a movie about it when I was leading the brand globally. I recommend you check it out. It's called King's Beer. It's a fantastic movie, again, around the pursuit of perfection. Now, it all starts with a great product, with a fanatic approach to quality and consistency. I really believe this is what you know, makes Budweiser what it is today. And great beer is, in my opinion, what puts us in the hands of great people. And then it kind of feeds itself. You become part of pop culture. So that takes us to the crux of the discussion today. Bud is and was everywhere. But for the past number of years, this immense equity that we built for this brand was overwhelmingly built on salience. We were only reminding people we were there. We weren't really reminding them why we were there. We didn't need to become more famous, that was clear. We needed to find ways to play a more meaningful role in the lives of our beer drinkers. I've worked for this brand in some capacity for basically 20 years, as you heard, and we all talk about purpose. There's lots of discussion throughout the gathering around purpose, and I fundamentally believe that this is key. But I feel like Bud's evolution to a brand of action is a big part of how we continue to keep it healthy. So trust me, this is no masterclass in marketing, but at Labatt, AB, and AB InBev, we pride ourselves in being people of action. And hopefully you see a nice evolution of how we took action with Bud. Today, I'm gonna to share five concepts that helped us sort of stop talking about ourselves and started doing things with and for our beer lovers. And ultimately, I believe that this helped solidify our position as number one brand in Canada and a global powerhouse. So first up, story doing versus storytelling. Sports have always been a part of Budweiser's DNA. And you know, we always ask ourselves, I wonder why. We landed on this insight, which I still to this day think is totally true, that sports is a great excuse to get together with your friends and drink beer. And in Canada, of course, our excuse is hockey. And in 2011, I did this massive Six Sigma green belt on how to unlock the next tier of brand health with Budweiser. And I remember convincing the entire management team at Labatt that this, you know, American brand 
could and would be the beer brand for hockey fans. And they looked at me like I was crazy. But the opportunity nonetheless was compelling. So we spent a year moving all of our hockey sponsorships to Budweiser. Then this unfortunate thing happened uh, with our sponsorships. And that's about all the lawyers will let me say. But needless to say, we had to throw away a couple of years of work on Budweiser. And uh, it was a big blow. It was really tough. But in the end, it forced us to rethink how this American brand could connect with Canadian hockey fans without, you know, the comfort of all these league marks. So our focus shifted from really what we were saying about sponsorship to what we could do for the people that actually love the sport. And who loves hockey more than these guys? The beer league. So we became focused on actions over ads. And we started building a culture internally where we rewarded risk-taking, trying new things, committing to crazy ideas that we didn't think were even possible at the time. And that brings me to this second principle, 80% alignment, 100% commitment. We had uh, developed this kind of cool way of thinking about ideas uh, and how to come up with them. We literally said, imagine, I think everybody knows this guy, imagine if you were a crazy, passionate, billionaire sports fan, what would you do? And that really changed our entire way of thinking and evaluating ideas and really led to us maybe taking one of the biggest risks that we took uh, in all of uh, you know, Budweiser's communication in the last 10 years. Now, a reminder, we make and sell beer, but we decided at some point to make a fully functioning, goal-synced Budweiser red light that we sold directly to hockey fans for $149.99 plus tax, which is a lot in Canada. So this goal-synced Budweiser red light really changed the way Canadians celebrated goals. Consumers lucky enough, especially in year one, to actually get their hands on one, you know, connected it directly through their Wi-Fi, downloaded our app, synced to their, their team so that they could celebrate goals in real time. If the Jets scored, your light would blast off a horn of celebration, really transforming the way people celebrated goals and putting our brand at the most emotional, amazing moment in hockey, of course, when your, your favorite team scores a goal. To date, Canadians have spent millions of dollars out of their own pockets on these things and thousands of Households in Canada have one of these bad boys sitting on the, their mantle, helping them sort of make their hockey viewing experience that much better. So after creating this red light that really uh, disrupted, I think, our world, we started asking ourselves, you know, what's the next thing we can't do? And the ideas kept rolling and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, literally. So next, we sent that red light that we created up into the sky by making a Zeppelin, the red light Zeppelin, a massive red light blimp that flew across Canada during the Olympics and lit up, of course, every time Team Canada scored. I remember we actually sent it, there's a clip here of how we sent it to the Russian consulate and it would sound off every time Canada scored 
against Russia, which was absolutely fantastic. But, you know, truth be told, the, uh, the Zeppelin actually did get away from us for a few moments there. We had to track it down with the help of the uh, Canadian Air Force. Thank you, everybody. Uh, that's a story for another time, though. Next up was the World Cup of Hockey a few years later. And for this, we created Big Red, a giant red light that we sent directly to the North Pole. Yes, to the North Pole. That uh, would literally light up the world when Canada scored. So it's not a Pepsi star, but it's pretty freaking close in my opinion. And the point is, is we committed to something big before we had it all figured out. And you know that principle really continues to guide us to this day. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. The next principle is all about seizing moments in culture. And I think this group for sure knows that, you know, social media has moved from being the second screen to the first. And, you know, we had to start dialing into cultural moments and becoming part of it versus just posting about these moments. And one of them, pretty close to my heart, was when the Winnipeg Jets, the NHL team, returned home after 15 years. Recall, I was born in Winnipeg. So the pressure was on me and the team to celebrate their arrival in a big way. So we created Fanbrew, a limited edition Budweiser beer made with fan-blessed water from iconic places in Winnipeg. Eventually, we poured that water onto the ice before the first game, and we poured the rest of the water into the kettle to make the beer. This absolutely flew off the shelf. We were sold out in 48 hours. I had every member of my extended family hunting me down to try and get their hands on a case. But it was a fantastic idea. And and we took that same kind of type of thinking out of the hockey arena to the music venue. In this case, it was for the heavy metal crazed fans in Quebec, in Quebec City. There was a return of Metallica for, they hadn't been there in years. And actually, they were closing one music venue and opening another in Quebec City. So it was kind of a once in a lifetime sort of opportunity. And to mark the moment, we created Budweiser Metallica Brew. Beer infused with the music of that first Metallica show. We literally pumped the music from the show inside to a tanker full of Budweiser sitting out in the parking lot. Then we put it into cans and of course it was another sellout idea. So my next principle is pilot locally and scale globally. Uh, In 2016, I was the VP of marketing in Canada and I eventually got the tap to go to our global headquarters in New York and lead these three amazing global brands, Budweiser, Corona and Stella Artois. absolute dream job. And for sure, one of the reasons that I got the tap was because we were, as a team, pushing boundaries in Canada. But to do that uncharted ideas, we needed to sort of leverage local work, pilot things, and then eventually scale. 
In Canada, a couple of years previous to me moving to New York, we, we had this idea with our red lights. We created a goal synced glass. So you can see on the bottom of this glass, there's actually a light that would light up every time your team scored. We used to say the line, goals have never tasted so good. It was an amazing idea. And um, fortunately, while I was working in New York, there was uh, you know, event, the World Cup in 2018 in Russia, which were, of course, the biggest goals in the world at the time. So we took our beer cup to the World Cup. My final principle is all about rising to the occasion. Like many of you in the audience, you know, I think this past year has been for sure the hardest in my career. Leading a company through, a, you know, a global pandemic is, is not easy. But as Winston Churchill famously said, the price of greatness is responsibility. That's the way Budweiser kind of sees our role in the world. Budweiser's never been shy to speak out and take action on issues. And this, you know, brand behavior started as far back as, you know, 1933 when the Budweiser Clydesdales delivered cases of beer to the White House to mark the end of prohibition. And today, we need to continue to put our brand to task on the big issues affecting our future. Fast forward now to 2018 when I was in the global chair in New York. We recognized the need to put a, a platform on Budweiser that we could take it action and contribute to making actually a better world. And at that moment and still today, of course, one of the biggest threats to the human race is climate change. And fortunately, our chief procurement and sustainability officer and our CEO wanted to do something about it. So they created our global sustainability goals. And one of them was around energy and renewable sources. And we thought on Bud, man, what a perfect opportunity to carry the electric torch for our mission. So we launched on Budweiser a commitment to be brewed with 100% renewable electricity globally by 2025. Hopefully you take away some inspiration from these principles and, uh, and this amazing work from our teams and of course our amazing agencies. It's one thing to uh, have a purpose. We talked about that earlier today, but I believe it's another one to actually act on it. So if I leave you with one final question to ask yourselves, no matter what business you're in, what's the next thing you can't do? Cheers. Right out of the gate, Kyle talked about his desire to do something big and that he's had that desire for most of his adult life. I love that. I, I know too many people who only are doing something safe and something small and something expected. I love that Kyle dreamt of putting Pepsi on the moon and he hasn't stopped dreaming big dreams since. I also love how Kyle referenced Budweiser and Bud Light are the number one and number two most valuable beer brands on the planet. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine what it takes to not only achieve those top tier rankings, but to retain them year after year, decade after decade, despite exceptional competition and massive shifts in consumer drinking preferences. You know, it's one thing to build something great, and it's quite another to remain relentlessly relevant year after year. Now, if you remember, Kyle spoke about Budweiser's commitment 
to consistency. I think that McDonald's is the only other brand that I have studied that has been as myopically focused on consistency as Budweiser is. And that is such a critical element to branding done well. Consumers must trust that they are getting the same product or service that they have come to expect from you, no matter the channel, no matter the country, or no matter the season. Now, that might all sound like an operational challenge that must be solved, but believe me, that is a branding and a marketing challenge as well. And that consistency isn't just with your offerings that you sell, it's with the brand persona and the delivery of your messages and the fostering of the community that your fans all want to feel and be a part of. I also really like how Kyle spoke of purpose and action. You know, brand purpose is one of the eight cult brand principles and super important. But if we're not careful, we'll spend all of our resources defining and articulating our purpose and then not really living it in super compelling ways. Kyle as a leader and Budweiser as a brand, you know, they've put their money where their mouth is. And he shared several excellent examples of how to convert paid media dollars used to buy impressions into owned media assets that actually make impressions, unforgettable impressions. We'd all be better off if we spent less resources trying to tell people how special we are and instead use those resources to just become more special. I'm grateful that Kyle gave us some advice and some case studies about how to do that. And even though we all can't do it at the scale or the scope of Budweiser today, we can do something in our own unique ways with the resources that we do have to be a bit better. Until next time. Once again, this is your host, Chris Neeland, and you've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we explore the great speakers and insights shared at the gathering of Forbes' top-rated business summit. Learn more about the gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It really helps. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com. Special thanks to Connor Standish and Laura Winter for their assistance in making this podcast possible. Also, I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.